Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 131. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. In today's episode, I'm interviewing a fascinating guest. My guest is Anna Seewald, who is a psychologist and the creator of Authentic Parenting Podcast, as well as an author, photographer. Anna is a very creative person who has a fascinating story of her own. She's a parenting expert and she works with clients around the world doing parent coaching. She's originally from Armenia, where when she was a child, she lived through a devastating earthquake. And this informed her drive to become a psychologist. In our interview today, Anna talks about her work, why parenting is so hard, and how parents can be attuned with their children through becoming more attuned within themselves. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Anna Seewald. Hey, I just want to remind you that registration is now open for the second Equine and Daring Way Retreat. So you may remember last year in November, Charlotte Heiler Easley and I co-hosted two one-day retreats, one for therapists only and one for everyone in Central Maryland where I live. We had beautiful experiences both days, but this time we're doing a two-day retreat for women in Central Kentucky where Charlotte lives. Charlotte has a beautiful grounds of the Central Kentucky Riding for Hope where she has access to a wonderful herd of horses whom I can't wait to meet. So in this two-day retreat, we'll be going deeper into the Daring Way work and doing more connection with horses than we had time to do in our first retreats, although we spent most of our time with the horses and 
working with them using Charlotte's relational equine assisted learning model. This is all non-mounted work. You don't have to have ever been around a horse before. It's okay even if you feel scared. We are looking at how we can connect deeply with ourselves and with other sentient beings, people, animals, horses, nature. It's a wonderful opportunity to go deeper within, and I hope you will join us. Up until April 15th, we have early bird registration. You save $100, and if you need a two-payment arrangement. I can get you set up with that if you just shoot me an email. We do have this. This event is filling quickly, but there's still space for you as of now. It's April 10th, 2018. And I hope that if you're interested in joining us, you will take advantage of the early bird price. Even if you miss the April 15th deadline for the early bird rate, we still have a reduced rate for regular registration, and then the late registration fee is our highest price. Two friends who register together can save $50 each. And if you want to take advantage of that, go ahead and email me for that code. You can always reach me at laura at lauraregan.lcswc.com. Join us in Central Kentucky. I hope some of you who are on the West Coast who may have wanted to join last time, but found it not feasible to get all the way over to the East Coast, will be able to come in the middle of the country and meet us in Kentucky for two days, June 1st and 2nd, 2018. We can't wait. Go to lauraregan.lcswc.com slash retreat for all the information and to register. I hope to see you there. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today's episode is all about relationships, specifically parenting relationships. My guest today is Anna Seewald, who is a parent educator and the host of Authentic Parenting Podcast. Anna, thank you for being on Therapy Chat today. Thank you for having me, Laura. I'm excited to be here. I'm really excited to have you here. You had me on your podcast, which was a really fun experience, and I'm grateful that you did that and that we finally are having our chance to have you on mine after a few scheduling snafus on my part. So thanks for your patience. <laughs> yes, I it's okay. I, it's, it's worth a wait. <laughs> and your episode is doing incredibly well on my podcast. It's in the top two at the moment. People love it. It resonates with people. So I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with my listeners. Oh, that's so sweet of you to share that. And I think what we're talking about is very resonant for people, you know, both what we talked about on your podcast, you know, how to recognize when the parent is affected by trauma that's getting in the way with parenting and what we're going to talk about today, which is basically what makes parenting so hard. Mm, I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's just start off with, um, if you will, will you tell our listeners a little bit about you and and the work you do? Yes. So I am a psychologist and an educator, and I worked with children for nearly 18 years. 
my mission was to help children and to stop the child abuse, child suffering, and still is. That's my mission. But once I became a parent 10 years ago, I realized that all that time that I dedicated in helping children, and I have worked with orphans, youth at risk, emotionally abused, neglected children. I started my career in a correctional facility for juvenile delinquents. And that experience has made me smile. And as a professional, what I know about child treatment and discipline comes from that experience. It was really an eye-opening, life-changing, formative experience. I saw a lot of abuse there, physical abuse. And the reason I came to the United States uh, is I, you know, advocated for the rights of those children and I got a scholarship. Uh, I came to study in the United States. That institution has changed. You know, it's no longer a correctional facility with harsh people and who were hurting children. So I'm very proud of that. But that also shaped me, my parenting philosophy, so to speak, before I even became a parent. I was working with children. I knew intuitively or in some other ways how to treat children. You know, they deserve the same dignity and respect and punishment is not the way. So all that was ingrained in me from a very young age, uh, from my 20s, I would say. And then when I became a mom 10 years ago, even though I was prepared, I had all the knowledge, right? I first-handedly experienced how hard parenting can be. It's not that we need all that knowledge and experience, but there is a lot of emotional stuff that goes into becoming and being a parent. So that's when I directed my attention and focus and started working with parents because by helping parents, I can help children. It's it's such a natural way. And I don't ever want children to suffer harms of ineffective parenting. Wow. So thank you for what you just shared. And I have a couple questions for you about that. Because first of all, are you saying that in the children's correctional facility, the children were being abused in the facility or they were abused before? And that's what brought them to the behaviors that, you know, cause them to be incarcerated both so the children oh. the children who were in the facility they were teenagers it was for juveniles they had not only delinquent behavior but also a lot of disabilities learning disabilities and and actually i did my uh, thesis on that the connection between delinquency and disability mm. And so the children came from disadvantaged homes. A lot of the children had, this was in Armenia, uh, by the way, for the listeners, the children came from broken homes or a lot of their children didn't even have uh, homes. You know, their parents were homeless. They lived on the streets. So the trauma was prevalent, right, uh, already from the very beginning in those children. And now they are in this facility. And the people who worked there, they were very poorly trained. One of them, in fact, was an ex-convict himself. And 
I was the only educated person at the time to go and want to work in that system. Uh, I was sent there by my university as a young, naive professional, right? I was hopeful to change the world, make a big difference. And I had big ideals and I was selected to go and see. And when I went there, it was very difficult to work in that environment because they were abusing me as well, mm. uh, emotionally, psychologically, but I was a tough cookie. So <laughs> I brought in a lot of experts and foreign organizations, children's rights, human rights organizations, and the dirt came out and it, it was a big to do. So, wow. Um, <laughs> yes. And and I worked with those children. I stayed there for day and night. They they were hurting me. They were doing everything to get rid of me, but I stayed and the pay was very little. I can never forget that experience and how children were being treated. Once one of the children actually stole something from me too, like right then and there, like I was conversing with a group of children and some one of the kids stole something from my pocketbook and one of the guards immediately when I informed him that something was stolen from my pocketbook he lined them up for about an hour or so and tortured them for them to tell who did it oh my gosh and and I regretted that for sharing with him that something was stolen it wasn't a significant thing but then I started connecting with those kids you know and forming relationships. And I saw the power of an influential person who believes in loves and cares for them, how they can come around and change. And all the children started gravitating towards me. It was pretty fascinating. And um, not surprising, because it sounds like you were yeah. the one person who was kind of more nurturing and kind. Yes, yes. So oh. It was, yes. So they, there was a lot of abuse in the facility and, you know, but um, like I said, I was abused too. I remember. Yeah. But so that shaped me how we should treat children. You know, what, what are the right ways, wrong ways and all children deserve not only love, but also just decency and respect. Yes. Like you said, when you first mentioned this, you mentioned dignity. And I think Remembering the dignity in each person is so crucial in every human interaction. You know, if you see each fellow human as having dignity, it's hard to mistreat them. Yes. And today, a part of my work with parents involves court-ordered parenting classes. So today, I also work with addicts and criminals who are involved with the criminal justice system. They go in and out of jail. They are required to take parenting classes. So today I work with adults and, you know, they're severely traumatized people to begin with. So, and, and speaking of dignity, that's what I feel like when I treat them with dignity and again, with the same kindness and care Sometimes it could be alarming. I had a client who told me, but you don't understand. Don't talk to me like that, like you respect me. He, he, it was so foreign for him. He stood up in my office and he, he didn't like how he was being treated, which was kindness, care, dignity. But oftentimes 
that's what heals and makes a difference the way I am with them, you know, with openness and authenticity. And my daughter even says, mommy, it's because you believe in them. That's why they change. And I so truly believe in that. It's not that I'm this excellent professional. I believe in the power of relationships. That's what changes people. I, I, I don't care how many degrees you have and what, you know, what schools you went, what changes people in a therapeutic relationship or in any kind of coaching relationship, I would say, is that power of that relationship that you have. The deeper, the meaningful, the authentic that relationship is, that will make the other person to change, to gain motivation, you know, to become curious about life and want to change something in their life. I don't know. What do you think about that? I'm curious. I do. I agree with you 100%. I mean, what comes to mind for me is, you know, you're talking about people who have a problem in their parenting. Every I've never talked to a parent who wouldn't say that they love their kids, no matter whether they're very nurturing and loving and effective parent, or if they're a kind of a, a parent who's very harsh with their kids and they don't have a very positive relationship, they always will say that they love their kids. And I believe they do. It's just that the only way they know to interact is the way that people have always interacted with them. So I believe that, you know, this is something that I've heard through trauma trainings over the years. When the the injury is within a relationship, the healing is within relationships. So, you know, when you were hurt by people, when you were a child, you're going to repeat those same patterns. But for you to heal that wound that you have happens within relationship. And that's where the therapeutic relationship or any relationship with a professional or any, any support person, professional or not, who's, you know, truly invested in helping you and cares about you and believes in you. That's where the healing happens. Yes, a hundred percent. And I do believe in the goodness of people. That's because when I worked in that facility for many years and people would ask me, oh, that kid is just a bad kid. And I would say, no, there is no bad kid. They would say, oh, come on, can't you just see what he did was horrible. And I always knew, even as a young person, that something else drives the behavior that, you know, the, the goodness in people. I believe in that and I support that. I, you know, I believe in the goodness of people and I love people too. <laughs> so I agree. I agree. I don't believe mm -hmm. there are any babies who are ever born who are bad. I know some people might think that's true, but I just, I can't yeah. believe it that it's possible. I think we're all humans. We're all good. And our nature is to be love, but you know, things that can happen to us can make it feel unsafe to let our guard down. And, you know, that can happen very early. But so I sort of got in deep, even with just my question about your first sharing that you had here on this podcast today. But I also want to ask you when you mentioned that the experience in the correctional facility taught you that punishment is not the way to effectively get kids to do what you want them to do. You didn't say that exactly, but I just want to ask you what you mean by punishment. Obviously what they were doing in the facility was straight abuse and torture. So that doesn't work, but you know, some people think of punishment in a, 
a specific way. And so I'd like to know how you define that. <laughs> Punishment. Yes. Many people confuse the term with discipline. Oftentimes, right? People mm -hmm. say, my husband is the disciplinarian, or I am the disciplinarian, or my child needs discipline. Uh, oftentimes, what they mean is punishment. What is punishment? Punishment comes in many different forms and flavors. First and foremost, I think punishment is when you use your size and your power to inflict any kind of pain or unpleasantness to another human being or a child to obey or do something that you wish them to do. So you use your power and size to inflict unpleasantness or any kind of pain. That could be verbal, that could be physical, right? We can, it's a spectrum. It could be on one end to the extreme, it's corporal punishment, spanking, hitting children and all variations of that. On the other extreme, it could be verbal abuse, put downs, ridiculing children, making fun of them. Or withdrawing, withdrawing your approval and love. Yes, that, that's another form, right? Uh, you withdraw your love and isolate your children. That's why, to me, timeout falls into this spectrum as well, because when you, and many people can disagree, and it's okay, I am not here to change anybody's view, like right away, my way is the right way, right? Uh, we want to hear everybody. It could be taking things away, such as privileges or um, using artificial consequences. It's another form of punishment because you're, again, artificially manipulating and controlling someone else's behavior because you want them to act and behave the way you wish they would. So when you take their screen time privilege away or anything else, that that's a form of punishment. It's an unpleasantness inflicted by someone who is in charge or who is powerful. Yesterday, my client told me, my son doesn't brush his teeth. He's eight. So I told him, did you brush your teeth? I asked. He said, yes, I did. Then I said, open your mouth. I looked and he didn't. I said to him, don't lie to me ever. I didn't lie, mommy. I didn't lie, mommy. No, you did. And so guess what? No screen time for tomorrow. So that's an artificial man-made consequence, right? That is not even related to the event. Teeth brushing and screen time don't go together. So yeah. a, a consequence is that something you spill water on yourself, you're wet. That's a natural consequence. Again, so punishment comes in different forms timeouts, uh, grounding, withdrawal of love and things, or taking things away, uh, verbal abuse, yelling, corporal punishment, that's all punishment. <laughs> and I created a meme that is floating on social media, and it's been resonating with people that when we control our children, we lose our influence. And I truly want parents to have influence instead of control. I am fascinated. I'm thinking about how I didn't know what we know now about parenting. We definitely used time out. And I don't know if the way we did it, you know, usually the child would just have to sit in the chair. They wouldn't be away from everyone. It would just be like, it's almost like just taking five minutes to calm down. But that, you know, I don't know if that fits or not. But you know, just thinking like I'm waiting to learn from you what parents can do that's effective to really 
maintain strong, loving relationships with their children and, you know, still teach them how to be functional in our world. (laughs) Yes, we do need to set limits. You know, we do need to set limits to protect our children, to teach them what's right, what's wrong. We are their guides, right? We have to coach them through life. It's not that we choose not to punish, but we need to discipline them. That's a completely different story. Here is the thing with timeouts. The one that you're describing is not the end of the world, okay? Let's be honest. Putting a child in the chair in the corner and while everybody's there, let's say he's three, he did something. But here is the thing. That's like, to me, that's not only ineffective, but it's a superficial approach because what we know from how the brain and the nervous system works when a child and what goes into behaving badly, quote unquote, like I don't use the word misbehavior. So um, because to me, there's only behavior, right? And when we talk about children, we always use this word misbehavior somehow. And that's an archaic term that implies punishment. It's very, it already sets the tone that you're going to do something to that child's behavior. You're going to stop or get rid of it because it was not what you expected. It was challenging or unpleasant or perhaps undesirable. But what drives the behavior? Once we understand what drives our behavior, then we can tackle the root cause of that quote-unquote misbehavior and simply that misbehavior will disappear. But most of the time we're doing uh, superficial treatment. We're trying to get rid of the symptom uh, because we're busy, we don't have time or we don't have the knowledge per se. And that's why mm-hmm. a big, big part of my teaching with clients is neuroscience, nervous system, brain development. What we know now, let's say a child who is three years old, what do they normally do, right? Chill, what drives their behavior usually? They is- say no. <laughs> they don't <laughs> They don't stand where you want them to stand. They don't get dressed fast enough. Like things that are just them trying to be an individual. So oftentimes it comes down to either lacking a skill, like not knowing how to do it, mm-hmm. la- lacking a skill when children quote unquote misbehave, lacking information. They don't know that if I put my hand in this, it's going to spill. Or if I touch this, it's hot, it's going to burn. They lack information. They lack skills. There's a lot of stress in their life or hidden stressors that parents don't even know yet and uh, needs, emotional and physical needs. And when emotional and physical needs are not met, they accumulate into emotions that are not felt or halfway felt Oftentimes when a child is crying, what does a parent to do? Placate, replace the broken toy, fix the thing or distract the child. So we stop the expression of the emotion, but the energy and the emotion gets stuck in the body. So over time that accumulates and the little nervous system cannot handle it. And developmentally, children are right brain dominant, right? They are more emotional than logical. So you serve the wrong shape of pasta. Oh, it's the end of the world. (laughs) (laughs) So what do parents do? They start to get into power struggles. But I think having this knowledge about brain development, nervous system, and development in general when it comes to children helps tremendously. Then you're not fixing the behavior. You're meeting the need. 
I identify in my work six emotional needs. Um, the need for connection, that we're all wired for connection. We know that. A need for safety. It's, it's a big one, right? <laughs> Especially mm -hmm. as a trauma therapist, you know that. A need for safety. Autonomy, respect, acceptance, importance. Those are needs I base my work on. And once, let's say, your child's autonomy need is not met throughout the day, they're going to push your buttons in a way that they want to get that need met. But helping parents understand that this is what this behavior is, they're just trying to get their need met and give them opportunities during the day to meet that need, the behavior disappears. Or a child is longing to be with the parent. That connection need is so strong, but parents somehow get wrapped up in their life. I certainly have done this. You know, I'm a parent too, living in a modern society that is quite fast-paced and busy. You brush off your child. Then, of course, that lack of connection is palpable in your child. The younger they are, the hungrier they are. As adults, even, we can live with it, right? With lack of emotional needs. But children cannot, and they shouldn't. That That's good that they tell us with their behavior what they are lacking so we can meet their needs. Yeah, so it's it's part of their developmental process that these needs have to be met. And so their behavior is trying to get these needs met. That makes so much sense. Yes. A three-year-old is not going to say, mommy, with a sophisticated language, my autonomy need haven't been met lately. <laughs> you know, even as adults, let's face it, I have a need for connection and intimacy. Do I ever come out and openly, vulnerably communicate it to my partner? Never. <laughs> the moment he walks in the door in the evening, I'm like, can you take the garbage out? And then he <laughs> says, no, I'm so tired. I'm like, you never helped me around. <laughs> and and it, it starts the bickering and the fight. But that's just a surface behavior. Underneath, all we're trying to do is to meet our emotional needs. But it's so hard to be open, first of all, with ourselves, mm -hmm. right? And then have the language to communicate. But when we do we have deeper and more meaningful relationships. You know, we don't have to go this winding through winding roads and through back alleys to communicate what we need. That builds intimacy in and of itself when we communicate from our needs. I think if we know what they are, but you know what? Most of the time people don't know you're right. And part of my work with parents is to help them their own first and foremost. Because if you don't know what your needs are, right, then how are you going to attune to another human being's unmet needs? Then definitely you're going to get triggered because you have the same needs as they do. Mm -hmm. Therapist, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh, my gosh. Did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy Notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used Therapy Notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is 
maybe three times in the past six years. My issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code CHAT to get two free months. It's as if there's a play behind a wall and behind the wall is the the needs and what you see out in front is the behavior and the two people are bickering and, you know, getting mad with each other and frustrated, but really they're feeling wishing to connect. Yes. Especially when someone says, leave me alone, leave me alone. I usually translate, get closer, get closer. That's a connection need, but it feels so vulnerable and scary to feel connected to even want to be close Again, maybe this goes back into their attachment history as well. The, the things that we need the most, we push it with more force, right? Mm. It's, 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 so, it's so paradoxical in some ways. Yeah, it is. And, you know, it's so vulnerable to when someone says, leave me alone, to try to get closer sounds so vulnerable. Yes. Yes, it does. It does. There lies the beauty and the authenticity of, of the relationship. There lies the power of that relationship. I, I have forced myself to be open in the times when it's very difficult for me with my partner. And I was going through something two years ago, health-related, and I was in a very dark place. It was hard for me to admit that I was scared and was I communicating that to my partner? No. Was I snappy and judgmental and resentful and angry? Yes. But then one day I realized that it's not helpful. Anna, what are you doing? You're teaching this to other people, but here you are. <laughs> and um, one day I was in the kitchen with my husband. I clearly remember this. We were standing near the dishwasher and I just said, how I felt in that moment and what I needed. It took me this big amount of courage and openness, but but the pain was so big that I couldn't bear it anymore. I said, you know what, I'm just going to do it. And what resulted was this incredible connection and and it, it was what I needed to heal in that moment. And that's so beautiful. Yeah, the connection happens within that vulnerable space. Definitely, yes. It, it deepens that emotional bond that you have. So let's talk about how parents can identify what their children are needing and what that brings up for them that gets in the way of that connection. Mm. Yes, that's, that could be hard, right? That could be very hard. It's also unconscious sometimes, you know, the child does something and then we feel, we don't know what we feel, but we react. And then, you know, that dynamic continues to play out. Yes. And oftentimes it does. And the child will bring up that dynamic over and over again because they need resolution. I think when you are bumping against the same hurdle, against the same 
challenge over and over again, that should be a sign that this needs to be taken care of. That's the first sign. It's not going to go away on its own. You know, children have needs and we do have needs as well. First and foremost, I would say to people, try to identify what your needs are. You know, our basic needs are safety, satisfaction, and connection. And oftentimes in this day and age, even though we're so connected to the global world with our technology and our screens, but we are very isolated and we don't have the village. Like Rick Hansen says, we don't have the village. It's a ghost town. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, fr- from outside, it appears that we're all so connected. But mm-hmm. I think the connection need is, is an important one. Safety is an important one. You know, the basic sense of safety. If you don't have that, the rest are kind of not there, right? The first one is safety. So the fundamental one is that need for safety. Now, how would you describe safety, Anna? Because I think people think, oh, I'm safe. I have, you know, I live in a safe neighborhood. I have a house to live in. But is that what you mean by safety? No. Well, that's physical safety, right? That's important, too. Right. But but what we're talking about here is that emotional safety, you know, that hypervigilance that you constantly have, that something bad might happen or going to happen or has happened in the past that you're hypervigilant. It's usually a sign of trauma, right? That Mm -hmm. our basic sense of safety is shattered. Physical safety is great. Yes. But um, are you safe in your own world? Are you safe by yourself or with your partner? Uh, Like the example I gave, are you safe enough to come out and say, I am scared of dying? to your partner. That's the safety I'm talking about. Where you feel non-judged, where you feel accepted uh, with all your emotions or your thoughts and flows and minuses and everything. Oftentimes, that acceptance is missing from our lives. We may say, oh, I accept you. But do we really? You know, what does acceptance feels like to the other person? You know, if we're judging that person, then we're not accepting them fully. And that person is not going to feel safe in that relationship. It's it's a very nuanced thing. And I, you know, we can talk about this for a long time, how that's how that safety is. But yes, I am not talking about that physical safety, more about that emotional safety. Yeah, thank you for breaking that down because I think, you know, I, I'm thinking about you saying that we need safety, satisfaction, and connection. And I'm imagining people thinking, well, I'm safe, you know, mm-hmm. without really thinking about how safe do I actually feel? Even if I'm physically safe, am I afraid? Do I feel like something bad's going to happen? Do I feel like I'm going to be alone and no one cares, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. And that sense of uh, safety, well, the opposite of safety is threat, right? Oftentimes what I see in my private practice today is many people live in, in a state of chronic stress and that triggers their threat system uh, and they don't feel safe. Everything is a threat to them. So when you're, when you're not feeling safe, you're feeling un- 
under a threat. So your threat system is activated either or, right? right? Either your threat system is activated or your safety system. So because we live in this modern fast-paced world, we have, there's so many stressors that come at people, especially parents, especially moms, that they don't recognize that they are under a tremendous amount of stress and that triggers their threat system and they act and behave in the world as if everything is an emergency. They see things negatively. They're overwhelmed and burdened, burnt out, and they don't have enough to give it to their children. And their children become a source of stress for them oftentimes, a source of threat. Because when you are under a threat, everything appears to be a danger or harm, uh, even your children. Same is true for children in terms of their parents. When a child is feeling chronically stressed, which I see oftentimes, this is when children don't listen to their parents. Parents will say, he doesn't listen, he doesn't listen. And the reason for that is when we are feeling tremendous amount of stress, especially children, our prefrontal cortex shuts down and we are in survival mode, right? Fight, flight, or freeze. And mm -hmm. when you are in that state, you can't think clearly. It's still tension. Learning gets affected as well. So we see a whole generation of, of children who are falling into this category. And why is that? Well, let's look at the stress level that children are. And oftentimes people will say, what kind of stress they have in their life? They have a good life. Mm -hmm. they, 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 they have everything. If anything, they're stressed yeah. because they have too many good things. It's like, they, no. <laughs> yes. Number one, children don't play. They don't play outside. They don't socialize with other children in an unstructured way. Mm -hmm. The yeah. way we did, you know, they, they go to school, they go to structured activities. They're lacking in social and emotional development and throwing the screen time that affects and burdens their nervous system and overloads and stimulates them. And the junk food that children eat, that's a source of stress. There are hidden stressors we can talk about. So what I see is chronically stressed children in my practice with their parents and and as if they become, they don't listen to one another anymore. You know, children resent their parents and they don't listen because of that. And parents become more resentful towards their children because they're tired of the burden that they're already carrying. And when your child says, mommy, can you read another story or play with me in the evening when you already used up all your internal resources and energy, you're like, no. Would you just go to bed already? You know, you, you just don't want to deal with that anymore. Yeah, the parent is so depleted and exhausted and needing their own time, which is, you know, which is real. They feel that way, but it feels like the child's need is just another demand on them. And it's just another way that they're being kind of bombarded with. Yes, absolutely. Demands and responsibilities. Yes, absolutely. This is why it's so important to look at your life and what I say, identify where your stress comes from, minimize, reduce, eliminate your stressors as much as you can. And the fourth step, manage your stress. This is self-care to me. If you do this on a regular basis, then you will have more room and openness, sense of safety, 
and ease and patience. And you'll be calmer with your children. What sucks up your energy? Where does your attention go? How do you spend your time? Those are the <laughs> suckers of energy, right? And many people are like, oh, but that's life, you know. But we need to do something about it. Yeah, so often, you know, we do lead busy lives, but there are many things that we kind of add on to our own plates, you know, where we we demand things of ourselves, like we demand that we look a certain way or that our house looks a certain way or that we, you know, have certain things or that our children look and behave a certain way and that they do certain activities that all the other children are doing. Yes. And make homemade meals, better be gluten-free, better, you know, better be this, better be that. And, you know, social media makes people less happy and more anxious also because you see everybody's doing it quote unquote right and better than you. So that depletes more resources from you. The first thing I recommend to my clients is, you know, cut down on the social media consumption and just get rid of Facebook from your phone. Like I don't have Facebook on my phone. I don't have email on my phone or I, I do put parameters how I live my life so that I can be in charge of where my limited resources go to. Because again, I want to give it to what matters most, my family, myself, and my loved ones. Yeah. So what do children need from the parents when the, the children are so stressed and the parents are so stressed? What do children need their parents to give them? They need their parents just to be with them. It sounds ridiculous, but one of my clients, she, her son was exhibiting all the behaviors that was really calling for connection. And when I said, you know, he's just wanting to be close to you. And she's like, really? Is that what it's? Yes, it is. She's like, okay, uh, maybe this weekend I can get a babysitter to watch my daughter. I can plan on having a date with my son. We can go to this restaurant. Then we can go and have this. We can do this activity. I said, just stop right there. Don't make this more complicated and more work for you than it should be. Your child doesn't need some extravagant activity, an outing, a special thing, like 20 minutes car ride to a restaurant, then some formal, semi-formal mm -hmm. dining, dining experience with you, then some activity that is, again, overstimulating and not even, it's not involves the two of you. Yes, you're physically there, but that's not what he's craving. He's craving emotional connection. And then she said, you're right. I'm going to waste like four hours and plus money for the babysitter. And I said, yes, you have to open up pockets of time in your day to connect with your child. It doesn't have to be some kind of activity it's just a check-in with a human being, just like you would with a partner, with a loved one. One-on-one, -on -one, five minutes here, three minutes there, 10 minutes in the evening. If you have extended time, even better. Uh, chill out together, cuddle, read, whatever that makes you see the other person's soul and connect 
emotionally. That's what children need. They don't need all this stuff that parents think they need, you know, it's just hanging out together, asking questions, or sometimes just being in the room. My daughter oftentimes would say, mommy, I'm doing homework. Can you just come and read your book on my bed in her room? I'm like, yeah, sure. Mm. You know, just your presence. Sometimes when they're doing something, you, it could be nonverbal. You can just gaze at them the way they play, the way they do something, instead of just sneaking your phone and just responding to some message, right? That's what children need, that undivided attention, presence, full presence that is nourishing them, their nervous system to be safe. And that's what builds their resiliency too. And when they feel that sense of safety, they will listen to you, believe me, because you are not a source of threat anymore. They don't feel threatened anymore. They feel safe and connected. Wow. So simple. It is. Yes, it is very simple. I think we overcomplicate things. That's that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. It's like they just want us nearby because they want us because they love us and they want to feel comforted to know we're near. Yes. And to go back to the timeout again, or when a child feels dysregulated, right? Their nervous system is dysregulated. When we say, I'm putting him in the corner or in his room for him to calm down, we know from research that young children do not have the capacity to self-soothe and self-regulate. It is through an attuned caregiver that they learn to regulate themselves through the process of co-regulation. It's crucial, in fact, to have a attuned caregiver present when you are going through a hard time. In fact, there is a research that I love always to mention. It's not, doesn't involve children, but we can apply it here as well. There was, a, I think it's done in Virginia, this research, you may know about it. Uh, there were three groups of women. The, they were going to get mild shock on their ankle or foot or something like that. The first group of women went with no support by themselves to get the mild shock. The second group of women went with the caregivers like nurses or hospital people or the research people. And the third group of women went with their significant other, their partners who were holding their hand throughout the whole process. And the anxiety and the sense of pain registered, you can guess who had the most amount was women who went by themselves. Mm -hmm. They didn't have a support from anyone. So it is really crucial for our nervous system to feel safe, to have that attuned caregiver, especially when children are young. It just helps us regulate our nervous system. That's how we're wired. That's why a crying child, a tantruming, having a meltdown child should never be left alone in hopes of they will come out of it. Eventually, it will go away. Eventually, it will. They will shut down. But we want to build resilience. We want to build emotional literacy. We want to help them through that process. Well, so, shutting down isn't it going away, right? Shutting down is yeah. just they give up. They give up, yes, because I mean, how much are you going to cry? And especially when you are, let's say, three or four, you don't know what's happening. Your mm -hmm. 
overswept by, by big emotions, you don't know that you're feeling, you know, some kind of big feeling, you need that caregiver right then and there. That's what real parenting, I think, needs to happen. But that's the most challenging for us, isn't it? When they get emotional, we get emotional too. Exactly. So So how do we (laughs) co-regulate if we don't even know how to regulate ourselves? Yes. The key is, so this is what I would say. There's two prerequisites for, this is what I teach. There is the in the moment that you need to be regulated and calm yourself so that you can co-regulate with your child. But before you get to that state, there are two prerequisites. You need to have a different mindset about behavior, which we talked about a little bit about needs, behavior, that understanding is important and a little bit of uh, science, the brain development, right? You need that before doing any work in the moment. And again, you are a human being just because we know this stuff. I know this stuff. It doesn't mean I'm always regulated, calm and present. I'm a human being. There's all sorts of turmoils in my life. You know, I lose my temper and cool. And our goal, and I want parents to tune into this, is never to stop yelling ever again or to never, ever get upset or fly off the handle. That's never going to happen because then, you know, then you're not human. You're wired that way. We have a nervous system that is there to protect us. So those prerequisites you have to do in the beginning. But in the moment, what you can do is um, what's helpful for people that I work with is, first of all, like you are not entering into the scene with the mindset, oh my God, my child is misbehaving, right? Mm -hmm. You're entering into the scene that my child is dysregulated. You're coming already from a different perspective, perspective of a helper that it's not about you. This is not a personal thing because the prerequisite when I mention is important. Oftentimes you will take it personally because it your stress response gets activated and now you're triggered. Then it's too late. When you are in the moment and you get triggered, the best solution would be to step away from the scene go get a drink of water, do some breathing exercise, some self-compassion, mindfulness thing for a few minutes and regain your balance or your equilibrium to come back to that scene and handle the situation. Otherwise, it's going to be an, an ugly scene because when you're hijacked emotionally and your child is hijacked, then, you know, it's going to be a power struggle. It's like two wild animals. Yes. Then it's fight or flight and it's not, it's, it's not effective. So the key for an adult, at least, you can recognize that. What are you sensing in that moment? I think embodied awareness, deepening your body awareness is key. It's this big part of my work. Mm. Your senses know when you get agitated, when you're getting that stress response gets activated, it's slowly coming, right? Maybe you get a sense of heat or tightening or tingling, things like that, because there's always physical signs. And once you recognize those signs, then you can do something about it. But if you miss that, then it's too late. Then you're going to yell and scream and do something that you're going to regret. Let's say that happened. Then you need to repair that rupture with your child. That's okay too. 
that's a teaching moment as well. But what you can do in that moment is what I teach parents to do is come up with a phrase. If you are a word person, come up with some kind of a phrase like, I am helping my child in this moment. There is no emergency. This is not an emergency. My child is dysregulated. Some kind of phrase like that, that will help you orient yourself. I also would love to say that give yourself a hug in that moment, perhaps put your right hand on your heart and do some breathing exercises, three breaths on a count of two, inhale, exhale on a count of four, exhale has to be longer than the inhale to engage your parasympathetic nervous system. And when you put your hand on your heart, the cortisol that is in your body, you know, oxytocin counters that cortisol. So you're feeling better and you're more regulated now. You're regulating yourself. And that takes a couple of seconds. It shouldn't take more than a minute, right? The situation is still there. Your child is still throwing a tantrum or having a fight with a sibling or whatever the, the situation is. But your presence, the way you enter that scene is significant. So that self-compassion piece, giving yourself a hug or saying those phrases or doing the heart on your hand, something that works for you. But if you're a visual person, having a scene, a safety scene or some kind of soothing person or activating some kind something visual that you cultivate prior to that is helpful too. Those are practices that we cultivate before I, I walk through people through before they get into the moment, you know, you cultivate your own thing so you can access in the moment, whether you are a word person or a visual person, you do the, that step in the beginning. And then surprisingly, it's not as, as scary and as alarming. And I do this with my child all the time. Then I teach parents five steps, how you can create emotional safety and tune into their feelings in the moment and guide them through that process. Then you do that you validate, you listen, you don't change the subject, you tune into their inner experience. And, and that takes like 30, 40 minute maximum often, you know, sometimes it could be 20 minutes, the whole thing, depending what's happening, but it has to run its course, right? That emotion in your child has to run its course. And once it's over and you did all the steps, I know it sounds maybe confusing that I say it this way, but the last step always when a child is done with the big feeling, the child will change the subject or have a realization or come up with the solution to the existing problem. That's when you know that the child completed the emotion and they're no longer in it. Uh, and apparent participation here is very minimal. You just need to be present and say very little, but you need to communicate safety and compassion through your gestures and your facial expression and your tone of voice if you choose to say a few things when a child is highly dysregulated because words don't have power in that moment. What has power over your child is your regulation. And when you bring yourself to that regulated state, that in and of itself will help suit your child's nervous system and their brain. Oh my goodness. That's so, <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's not 
it's so complex and it's not. It's so basic, but it's complex. And I get the neuroscience. I think what you're doing is beautiful. I mean, the way you can work with parents to help them in these situations, people can feel so overwhelmed in parenting and just like lost. And the, what you're describing is so very, very trauma informed. And really, it just sounds, it's such a different way of parenting where it's not just about making the child do what you want, controlling their behavior. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I know that's what it should be, but it's not necessarily the way in the U.S. we think about, you know, parenting. It's more like have a baby. They look cute. Dress them in cute little things. Hopefully they're quiet most of the time uh, and continually try to get them to be quiet or get them to be still, you know, and hopefully you're trying to be nurturing, too, but. You know, that's not always what parents kind of get the message in our culture that they're supposed to do. It's more like, don't let them embarrass you, you know, keep them safe. But see, this is what I tell parents. Your child's behavior is not an indicator of what kind of parent you are. It has nothing to do about the value or evaluation of your parenting. It's shocking to many parents because mm -hmm. your child's behavior is driven by other factors, external stressors, hidden stressors, or unmet needs, or accumulated feelings. If your child is behaving, quote unquote, badly, it's not that you're a bad parent. You know, it's, it's not about you at all. <laughs> <laughs> so this is why, and especially when children behave good and better, it also, it's not about us. It's not. We think it is because it feels good when our child gets a good grade. It's like, wow, it's an ego booster. But it has nothing to do with us. It shouldn't, in fact, do, do anything with us. They are a separate entity. They're a separate human being. They have their own life. We're just helping them grow. It's like a lot like gardening, I feel like parenting is a lot like gardening and I have plants in my office. One plant I killed, the other one is still growing and <laughs> is very nice. And I always bring that example to my clients. I'm like, see, I'm the same grower. I didn't take care of this one very well. I didn't change the pot. I didn't give enough nutrients. That's what parenting is. You can't change who your child is or control. No, sorry. Especially in my workshops, I give people seeds. You might find this fascinating. I give people seeds. I go to Home Depot, I get different seeds, and I give them packets of seeds. And they're like, what kind of seeds are these? I'm like, it's just like your children. You don't know who they are until you grow <laughs> and nurture them. And you cannot change the who-ness of, of what you get, right? You get a gardenia plant, you get a carrot, you get a rose bush. That's it. You have to nurture and take care of them to the fullest so they can reach their own potential. And it has nothing to do with you, uh, their beauty, their smell, nothing. You're just taking care of them. That's, mm. that's what it is. Yesterday, I had my daughter on my podcast and I asked her, she's very organized. She makes her bed and I never made my daughter do anything, right? Mm -hmm. she, she makes her bed. She's very organized and stuff. I said on the podcast, I asked her, I said, how come you're so organized? People want to know, did I ever make you do those things? She said, you 
do have some influence, mommy, maybe 94%. I said, <laughs> 94%? How so? She said, well, I watch you. You're a pretty organized person yourself. <laughs> and that just sums up, right? <laughs> it's just, just pretty fascinating. 94%. Kids are so cool. I know. I know. They are. They are. But let's don't forget that we were once children, too. And let's don't lose that childlike curiosity, sense of wonder, sense of awe. Let's relive it with our children. I think that's the beauty of parenting. We get wrapped up in our crazy life and we forget that we have children now. Let's be childlike and enjoy the laughter, the goofiness, you know. Let's make silly faces. Yesterday we went for a snowball fight. Even though I forced myself, I have to be honest, to go and have a snowball fight. My daughter had a blast and she's like, this was epic. This was the best day, mom. You're the best mom. You know, and I felt good too, like a kid. I forgot about my problems for, for like an hour or so. So I think that's what we need to do, you know, to enjoy life to the fullest, be present and find that childlike sense of wonder and curiosity. And see the goodness in each other. Yeah, I think that um, something you said too just now really um, stands out for me that, I mean, children live in the moment. They're not, you know, really constrained by all these rules and made up things that we have for ourselves as adults. They just do what they feel. They play when they want to play, you know, and it would be, it's a gift to be able to stay in that space. It is. Yes. We should view it as a gift and an invitation. And let's be open to that. You know, nothing has an importance other than that, because we're raising the adults of tomorrow, you know, and it's so important because we don't want what we didn't have for our children. Let's give it to them today. That's what I do this work. It's that's what drives me every day. Well, you and I are on the same mission to, you know, when you said that you don't want children to be abused, you know, that's the same way I see the world that we, it doesn't have to be like that. And we can all live from a place of love and pass that on. So Anna, I think people who are listening might be, you know, some of them who want help with parenting, they might be really intrigued and want to really learn more about what you do. And I know you have many offerings. Where can people find you and work with you and get your good stuff? Well, I have my website, authenticparenting.com. And my podcast is on there. And everything else is there. If you go to authenticparenting.com forward slash class, I have a small class, like an hour or so class a self-study class, you can take how to stop yelling, how yelling affects your children. I know many parents, uh, you know, deal with this issue. So that's available as well for people. But other than that, my website, everything is there. You can see where I'm speaking. I do a lot of speaking engagements uh, online and offline and things like that. I would love to connect with people. Parents can work with you one-on-one too, right? 
Yes, parents work with me. I have people from New Delhi, Russia, and I speak a bunch of languages, but I don't do the work in those languages. But just if any people speak Russian or Armenian or Spanish or Georgian, you know, I speak fluently four languages. So connect and with English, people. that's five. Yes, the English <laughs> is, yes, my third language. Yes. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on to Therapy Chat today. I love this conversation, and I think it could have gone on for another couple hours, but maybe we can do it again sometime. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, we should connect again. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Anna Seawald today. I really enjoyed talking with her and her perspective on parenting. I hope that you found something thought-provoking in today's episode. Be sure to check out Anna's podcast, Authentic Parenting. I was lucky enough to be one of her guests in a previous episode. We talked about parenting after trauma. As always, thank you so much for listening to Therapy Chat. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.